Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. <laughs> Today on the Pioneer's Post podcast, what it's like to run one of the UK's biggest social businesses. This is the first in a series of features we're producing in partnership with Ethical Property, where we explore the challenges of balancing profit and social purpose. First up, it's Ethical Properties Managing Director himself, Conrad Pebbody. Our managing editor Anna Patton met Conrad last month to find out what it actually means to run a workspace business in an ethical way. Ethical Property was founded in 1998 and it now has 22 centres all around the UK and these are used by charities, campaign groups and social enterprises and they're hoping to open many more. But how do you expand without putting your social mission at risk? And workspace rental is a really competitive market. So how will they cope in an even more challenging time under COVID-19? Yeah, I'm Anna. Nice to meet you at last. No problem at all. It's nice to meet you. You. Um, you're going to have to tell me how to pronounce your surname because I've not come across Hebedee. it. Hebedee. Don't know, like, uh, you probably never watched The Magic Roundabout when you were young, but there was a character called Zebedee. That's a, very much a British television show of a certain age. But Hebedee. Great. Well, it's nice to meet you. We were supposed to be meeting in one of your lovely office spaces around London, um, as a lot of people are uh, experiencing right now. That wasn't possible. Where Where are you calling from today? Where are you working from? I'm based in my house in Oxford, so okay. just kind of on the slight outskirts of the city of Oxford. So, yeah, okay. this has been my office for the last however many weeks. Um. <laughs> And so normally you would work from the, uh, it's the old music hall, isn't it? Yeah, that's where our headquarters is. But in my role, I probably spend, you know, 40 to 60% of the time there and the other 20 to 40% of the time traveling the country, visiting centers, setting up projects. Because, yeah, yeah, we're based from from Brighton all the way to Edinburgh and from London to Cardiff. So it's quite a large geographic area that we cover. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll come back to the business itself um, in a minute, but I'd like to just find out a bit more about yourself. Um, so you're Managing Director of Ethical Property. You've been in that role for about a year, just over a year at the moment. Yeah, I've been in the role for about 18 months. Uh, and before that, I was with employed by the company for, so I've been with the company now for about 10 years, just over 10 years. Yeah, okay. Um, but even before that, you were actually a tenant with Yes, I was a tenant for five years in Bristol. Okay. So, no, I mean, I was living in Bristol, and mm-hmm. this was quite a few years ago, and um, I'd been working for within the public sector for a number of years and was looking for a new challenge, and I joined an organisation called BEST, which was a charity that helps support small businesses in the inner city of Bristol, and... Mm-hmm. I went for my first day in the job and turned up and found this great workspace. Knew nothing about ethical property, but quickly discovered it was managed by ethical property and quickly discovered that we were surrounded by a range of really like-minded organizations and people that in different ways were working in some way to achieve uh, social, environmental, economic impact. Mm. So that's how I discovered them. First day in a new job. Mm -hmm. Ethical is a term that is sort of quite subjective or at least difficult to define um you have created a definition that you use to kind of 
select what kinds of organizations can can use your space. Could you just sum up briefly how you understand ethical um, tenants? Different than a business, which maybe has quite a straightforward uh, motivation to maximize profits. These are organizations that are looking to address you know, social, environmental, economic challenges which face societies. But do you, I mean, presumably you have you have to turn people down because they don't meet your criteria and therefore you're having to weigh up that thing of, you know, needing to fill that space, but also thinking this is not the right kind of organisation for us. Has, does that arise? So most organisations actually hear about us from word of mouth, so it's from an existing tenant. So okay. we naturally attract those organisations with a stronger ethical purpose. But yes, we also get organisations sometimes which don't fit our criteria and don't adhere to uh, the, the, the framework. I think the, the sort of some of those examples, particularly we've seen, are when, you, for example, you might have a large corporation with quite a bad reputation, particularly, mm-hmm. let's say, within the environment. And so they may set up an organization to fundamentally to better promote themselves in that arena. And moving into one of our centers for some organizations is an opportunity to try and enhance their credentials and put a bit of ethical wash onto right. their activities. And so that is something we've got to be really, really careful about. I mean, the main thing we will look at there is what is their source of funding? You know, are they connected to parent organizations? Mm. You know, and we are very, very interested in the source of funding for our tenants and really what are their aspirations and motivations? Mm, right so there's a bit of sort of due diligence that you're doing when when someone approaches you and asks to to absolutely you're kind of digging into their documents absolutely you know we will ask our perspective tends quite a lot of information around sources of funding their purpose their mission their motivations Um, and then I suppose the second layer of that is actually about the organization's fits within the community Mm-hmm. So we have some centres that have a very specific social purpose. So, for example, we have one like based in London that is committed to tackling poverty in London. We have another which is around promoting social justice and human rights. And in both those centres, there's a lot of demand for space. So mm-hmm. actually, there's also positive filtering, which is saying which groups are actually going to add most to the community and help okay. work effectively within that. If, you know, one of our, as I said, one of our main aims is to create a community of like-minded organizations and therefore you need to be careful about the kind of groups that often can be challenging because yeah. you know you may be turning to organizations saying I'm really sorry you're very worthy but you don't actually match the ambition or the aim of this specific project yeah but it's interesting you said about there being a lot of demand for that space because that's almost counterintuitive that you're you're like narrowing even further the possible pool of customers but actually that Conversely, that actually makes it more attractive to that particular niche. Absolutely. Um, and I think social organisation, yeah, one thing we've really seen over the last year as well, actually, is within the social arena, is that more and more tenants are also wanting to interview us as part of the process. So they're really interested what are your values? How do you treat staff? What's your commitment right. to the environment? Uh, what's your source of funding? Yeah, and how do the investors work with you? So actually, I would say it's been a real growth area of people actually quizzing their tenants, uh, their landlords, and really considering the ethicality 
of those landlords and where their money comes from. Yeah. So right. I think I, actually it's a real growth area. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting that people are getting just more demanding, really, aren't they? They're thinking about this more. So I noticed um, for the greenhouse, I think, which is one of your newest properties in London, you have a five-year flexible lease, which allows tenants to gives the tenants only the option to pull out of that lease at any time over the five years. Absolutely. We find that tenants in our sector really require the ability to shrink in size or expand rapidly in short periods of time. So it's very important they're given their fle- that flexibility, the opportunity to grow and expand. So that's really important to us. So these terms are really important to us. Um, and also communalization of resources. So where possible, we will try and share resources so to reduce the cost burden on our tenants. Unlike other landlords, you know, our team are incredibly passionate about what tenants are doing and constantly kind of looking to see what else they can, you know, how else they can help, how they can connect them, mm. you know, potential funding opportunities. So it's a lot more of a holistic uh, approach than just please pay your rent. Right. Your tenants are organisations that are often very, very stretched in resources, um, but at the same time, you need to you need to make enough money to to continue functioning. Where how does yeah. that work? How does that sort of decision making process go? Well, I, say, I mean, one of the things I'd say is uh, running a, a business on a triple bottom line is actually far more complex than a traditional business. It's like sitting on a three legged stool. You have to consider the social, environmental, and financial impact of every decision. So mm-hmm. it is harder to do that. Um, in terms of costs, I mean, firstly, you know, we pay our dividend, our shareholders a dividend, but actually our shareholders invest in the company for the long term and for impact. So right. A, our investors are not investing on the basis that they can maximize their individual profits. So firstly, I have a different investor base. So the yeah. kind of pressures and what they need are different than you know, if I was backed by a more commercial investor. So that's beneficial. You know, they take a very long-term view. So that's number one. Yeah. I think, you know, secondly, unlike a lot of workspace providers, we own our buildings or the huge majority of our buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, where possible, we try to acquire them on preferential terms. So the actual capital outlay is there. I mean, thirdly, again, when talking about costs, we very much place our tenants at the heart of the design of our buildings. So we try to ensure that actually what's in a building is what they need and it doesn't have superficial, you know, super additional products or services that actually they don't want. So try and do that. I mean, thirdly, it very much focus on communalization of resources. So in many of our buildings, there's a lot of stuff that you get included within that. So overall, your costs decrease. Yeah. And then fourthly, we actually operate as a business on very high levels of occupancy. And yeah. So that's what we model. So we operate on higher levels of occupancy than generally the sector would do, which means that we can spread our costs across a higher number of tenants, which effectively bring down our costs. Mm. Yeah, I so, think in your latest annual report, it was about a 90, is it about a 92% occupancy? Well, currently, it's about 94% occupancy, just over 94% occupancy. Okay. And what is the industry average? What's the standard? Uh, well, it will change, but most of the sort of commercial lands will operate more on 85%. Mm, okay. Are there plans to kind of add to your portfolio of, of 22 centres or is this kind of now a, a phase of consolidation? No, absolutely. We're still incredibly keen to grow and expand. Ultimately, 
I would like to see an ethical property centre in ma every major urban conurbation and area, uh, you know, in every significant community of large size. So, yeah, and and to get to that sort of growth phase, one of the the ways that you plan to do that is by by raising further investments. Yes, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, we. Uh, would like to offer ethical property as a social investment opportunity to every impact investor in the UK. You know, we want to grow and we want to secure more capital, but what's really, really important to us is that we attract capital from the right type of investors. Mm -hmm. You know, they're investors that actually want to take, firstly, a long-term approach, and secondly, share our values and our mission. So, you know, when seeking to invest in the company, you know, they yes, they want a sound asset. They want a good long-term investment, but very much to take a long-term view. And at the centre of their decisions should be social and environmental impact. Um, obviously, a property company, you are vulnerable to individuals that maybe look at your assets and think, "Well, hang on, if I could get control of your company, I'd potentially yeah. sell your buildings and make a significant short-term financial gain." Right. Um, we accept, obviously, as a business that it's generational in terms of achieving lasting change. It's not something that we are going to transform overnight. And so that actually the groups and the communities we support, you know, that's something that you need to work on for 10, 20, 30 years. Mm. It's not just about short-term financial gain. Right. But, but the kind of strategy that you're following is, is therefore not to list on, on the stock markets, but to... Um, to stick with the kind of ethics uh, shares? If, in the long term, we would love to be in a position to float on a public stock exchange, but only if there were sufficient mechanisms and protection in place to protect our mission and mandate. And currently, there's very, very few examples of any companies that have successfully done that and many examples of companies that have and then quickly you've seen yeah. a mission creep, uh, and, you know, a, a moving away. So if company law and legislation evolves and change, and I think it's something that as an economy we really should be looking at, are there ways to protect, you know, the purpose of uh, organisations like ours to achieve significant scale? Because you know, if I'm talking about wanting to have an ethical property centre in every urban centre, we're talking about the need to raise incredibly significant and much larger capital. Yeah. Um, I think equally, you know, we are in a sense just the tip of the iceberg in terms of needs across the UK. And I think many of my investors would love to see ethical property being the norm, mm. you know, that all landlords right. you know, took the same approach as ours. But yes, currently, you know, we wouldn't want to list on a stock exchange unless that was actually had a, a way of locking in. So we currently, for example, we limit within our articles the fact that no single investor can own more than uh, I think it's 10 or 11% of the company. So in a sense, no one entity can get control of the organisation. Yeah, okay. So you know, part of us is having, you know, we've got over 1,340 investors currently. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the protection is that, uh, you know, the democracy within our investor base which doesn't allow just one individual to gain significant control or influence. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to the kind of big issue of the day, um, which is COVID-19 and how that's affecting you. And I think it's interesting that you've sort of mentioned that ethical property, uh, you know, it's been around for 
two decades already. It's got a very long term view. So how does that affect your the way you see the current situation? Do you kind of see this as just something to get through as part of your very long term journey? How, how are you dealing with it? In the short term, you know, the key thing is someone that provides workspace that brings people together. You know, immediate number one priority has been health and safety to ensure that people using our buildings do so safely and securely. We have, as a company, made the conscious decision to keep our centres open during this period of lockdown mm-hmm. with remote management to not place risk on individuals because many of our tenants or a number of our tenants are what the government would classify as key workers that are supporting right. really vulnerable sections of the community. And our second focus was on reducing expenditure and making sure that we were just very cautious with the business and retain sufficient cash to carry on. We don't you know, obviously run out of money, which is vitally important. The third short-term priority has been supporting our tenants, making, you know, understanding that you know, they're weathering a storm as well, and actually we need to work with this together. So, mm-hmm. so we've given all of our tenants a reduction in their overall fees during that period of time and you know, remain in constant dialogue with tenants when they may be facing specific circumstances or hardship. Mm. So the second phase is making sure that when people want to return to work or more people are able to return to work, that environment is safe and secure for them to do so. So we've been looking at a lot of issues there and have been completing particular assessments on each property for how that can best be managed. And then the third phase has obviously been longer term uh, scenario planning um, under different outcomes. There'll be some tenants that do... um, fail during this period that simply run out of money Um, there will be some tenants that moving forward will want to maybe shrink space Mm -hmm. because they need to really be careful about every pound that they spend and is that happening already are you sort of already seeing people end or change contracts with you um it's, it's a very small number of those that are in cute difficulties that are making that decision interestingly particularly in the short term given the nature of our tenants, the, the third level of tenants are those that are actually seeking to expand and grow. You know, if you look over the coming months and years, probably one of the only things you can ultimately predict is that we are going to see greater economic and social challenging facing society mm. within the UK. And many of our tenants you know, are brilliantly placed to help support and uh, to challenge. So you know, a number of our organisations are also... You know, seeing that they will see an increase in demand for their services, uh, potentially increase in commissioning for certain pieces of work that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that I hadn't I hadn't thought of the the fact that tenants might actually need more space as a, as a result of this because of social distancing. So in some yeah. ways, it's work in your favor, but it's a strange. I, I think it, it will have a different impact. I think you know one thing people have really um, uh, some people have very much appreciated during lockdown is not having to commute to and from work. Mm. So I would certainly say, you know, for many, they will be looking to reduce travel, particularly, as I said, there will be concerns about using public transport and the risks that that might face. Yeah, but is that a risk for you that then they need less workspace? Um, Well, you know, uh, on one hand, they may need less workspace. Uh, On the other hand, you know, I've seen for 20 years a high level of demand. So actually... There is a silver lining to us, which is enables us to support more groups. Yeah. Okay. 
And in general, how are you sort of personally feeling? Well, obviously, you know, I think on one hand, you know, I am upset and depressed about the impact it's having on people's lives, the longer term impact on the economy. People have been more focused on being kind. And it's many of the organizations we support who are kind. So, yeah, and are doing great work. So I do think personally, our sector, I think, has a lot of opportunity to grow um, following this impact. I think, you know, and yes, there will be an impact on why the workspace providers, particularly those that lease property. I think they're going to chat, you know, have a lot of struggles. We are very lucky that, as I said, we own the majority of our buildings, which gives us a lot more freedom. Yeah. And it means that we can, you know, repurpose buildings. Uh, we can change design of buildings. We can look at modifying them in response to needs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there will be challenges, but also opportunities. I'm, as a manager, I'm someone that's always placed the well-being of our people really, really importantly. And one of the interesting things we've seen is just, you know, obviously, COVID-19 has had a significant impact on people's well-being. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, people that are, you know, I know a lot of my team miss human contact, mm. um, but you know, their personal circumstances, it's impossible as a manager to necessarily know how it's impacting on their personal lives. But mm -hmm. one thing it has done is actually brought people closer together. I now know more about my colleagues uh, life circumstances, the challenge they face. I've seen more of their living rooms than ever before. Yeah. Um, so actually learning a lot about people. And what's been fascinating as well is, is you know, during what is a crisis for the country is that it actually has created the space for so many people to become leaders in their own different ways. And I found that absolutely fascinating yeah. how some people have really, you know, taken on a really strong leadership role both I'm talking about at work but in their community with their loved ones and it's you know that has been nice to see has been people you know people are very resilient and how they've been stepping mm -hmm. up to want to make a difference and take personal sacrifice so you know I think there's a lot of negative things and obviously clearly people have lost lives and continue to lose lives but there's also are elements which are positive. Thank you to Conrad Peberdy for speaking to us. This podcast was produced in partnership with Ethical Property. We'll be exploring more ethical dilemmas and ethical conversations on pioneerspost.com in the coming months. Thanks for listening.